Hello and welcome back to Warrior Walker. We're so glad you joined us today. We hope that you're safe. <clears throat> and if you or someone you know or a loved one is in imminent danger, please do not hesitate to contact the National Center for Domestic Violence hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. Today's topic is a very delicate and sensitive one, and I want to issue a disclaimer at the beginning of this podcast episode again that I am not an expert. I am not a licensed therapist. Um, I am a mental health coach, but I am not those things. Therefore, again, as always, what I'm sharing with you is uh, what little research, knowledge, experience, and observation I have my own self. And I have been researching the topic of abuse for many years. Today's topic is probably going to be a little heart-wrenching and gut-wrenching. Um, so grab your Kleenex and be ready to take a break if you need to and care for and protect and be cautious with your own mental and emotional health as you listen to this podcast episode, because today's topic is on child abuse. This is not a topic that I ever thought that I would be addressing, but for some reason, the Lord has led me to record today. And I I will again be continuing and learning right along with you um, based on what I've already researched, observed, experienced, and um, learned about myself. Um, upon researching the topic of child abuse, the most common form of child abuse, um, according to statistics so far, is neglect. And what is neglect? Um, and again, this is my opinion, but neglect is not caring for a basic or essential need. So in the case of uh, neglect as a form of child abuse, then neglect, um, child neglect or child abuse due to neglect would be then, um, therefore, not caring for a child's basic needs. And um, when I was growing up, a child's basic needs were considered food, shelter, and clothing. Um, you know, the standard physical, tangible necessities required for a child to um, not only survive, but hopefully thrive and be successful in their physical growth. The understanding and definitions of the needs of children have obviously since expanded and grown. And we also now know that children need, um, also, children also need mental and emotional uh, health support as well. And that those things are just as much a need as the physical requirements of food, shelter, and clothing. Um, but let's start with, um, first of all, food. 
We all know that some children are very finicky and picky eaters, myself included. I've always been a picky eater, um, even when I was young and thin. So sometimes it's a real challenge and a real struggle as a parent to make sure that your child has a healthy diet or is eating a healthy diet. And you can't, let's just be completely honest and frank, you cannot always make sure of that. But I believe what you can do is offer them healthy food choices and also model eating healthy food choices yourself. Again, I confess I am not the best at all by far. Um, probably one of the worst examples of healthy foods to eat. Um, as I said earlier, as I mentioned before earlier on this podcast episode, even when I was young and thin, I had really, really unhealthy eating habits and food habits. And it is really difficult to change that, um, especially when it's become a norm for you. But I feel like if I believe that if we offer our children healthy food choices, um, then, you know, that is, we're not neglecting our children. That's pretty much what we should be doing and all we can do. And they're not always going to choose the, make the healthiest choices, you know, and they don't always have to eat perfectly. Um, but, and if you're not sure, you know, what are those healthy food choices um, you can also always Google it and do some research um, on the four food groups and what is recommended. There's like the food pyramid, <coughs> excuse me, which has actually changed a little bit over the years. <coughs> but you'll see on the healthy food pyramid, um, you know, it starts with the healthiest foods um, like fruits and vegetables, primarily vegetables. Um, and then, you know, your, your grains and, and things like that are clear at the opposite end of the spectrum as the least healthy with the, along with the fats and oils and things like that. Um, but you can research that for yourself. So just do a Google search for the healthy food pyramid and you'll come up with, I mean, lots of options. And there's been a lot of research in recent years, especially on nutrition. Um, I had a sports coach recently um, answer my question of what are the good things to eat? And I asked him this after I witnessed one of my students had lost quite a bit of weight. And um, I'm actually, I was actually really impressed by that. And he told me some things, and this isn't necessarily for children, but just in general, I was asking it as an adult, um, you know, that actually surprised me. And one of the things he said, which I have yet to implement, but I do plan to start soon, probably with my next grocery shopping um, time, the next time I order groceries, is he said he recommended to start every day before you do anything by drinking water. And not just regular water, but water with a slice of actual lemon in it. Not the, not the squeezable kind that you get in the little container, in the little lemon bottle or the glass lemon juice bottle. Not those, not the fake lemon juice kind, but actual slice of lemon. And he said, it will take a while to get used to it. Um, he also recommended 
drinking a one cup of coffee in the morning and said, he said that this is kind of gross sounding, but it's actually a laxative. It functions as a laxative. Now, I personally shy away from caffeine because I struggle with insomnia issues. But, you know, he said, when I told him that, he said, well, you, you don't have to drink coffee. It's just something that you can, you could, it could help. It could help. So maybe um, if you're an adult and listening to this, maybe you can try that or do that. Um, I would personally be careful about the caffeine content. Um, on the other hand, to my knowledge and understanding, it's my understanding that coffee actually has less caffeine than um, energy drinks, certainly, and even things like soda pop, soda pop, pop, whatever you call it. Um, so that was one thing he recommended. He also obviously recommended eating lots of vegetables and protein. And he said, no bread. Watch your carbs. No bread whatsoever. So I was like, okay, that, that explains a lot. Um, so, you know, we can offer fruits, vegetables, healthy proteins. Um, the coach, he did say that avocados are good for you, which is a good thing. I love avocados. <laughs> um, and just, you know, um, if we offer, if you offer, if we offer our kids, I say, I'm debating whether to say you or we, because my children are obviously grown now, as you know, from if you've listened to my other podcast episodes, but we can offer our children healthy foods and let them choose. And, and, you know, hopefully they will choose wisely. He also recommended almonds, which is not my favorite thing, but if you like almonds, there you go. <coughs> Excuse me. I apologize for the coughs. I've been um, trying to overcome this virus for a couple of weeks now. Anyway, um, so food is obviously the first need that our children have. They need proper nutrition and healthy foods in their diet, or at least offered to them at the very least, to help them grow. And this is just my personal take on this, but please do not make your child sit there for hours until they eat their vegetables. That's just wrong. You know, um, for example, there are things we can do. For example, my broccoli, I, I didn't like broccoli, but I, it's not the healthiest, but at least I was getting it. I would douse it in melted cheese on top of the broccoli and then I would be able to eat it. Or I would have... Um, broccoli cheese soup, which wasn't bad at all. You know, um, there are things you can do. Um, I've heard of people hiding pills or vegetables in baked potatoes or mashed potatoes or, you know, and the kid n never knows that it's in there. You know, some kids like one of mine. I mean, I had a doctor one time, we were trying to figure out his allergy and a doctor said, oh, well, there could be nuts in a bag of cookies he ate. And I'm like, no, you don't understand my child. He would smell nuts a mile away. And he's like, well, it may not be listed in the ingredients. It may be just in there. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. My kid hates nuts. He 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 would not eat a cut cookie that had nuts in it, listed in the ingredients or not. It doesn't matter. Um, and I was right. He was not allergic to nuts. But anyway... Um, just different things, different, get creative about if your child doesn't like vegetables, which I don't, you know, maybe get creative about um, how you can maybe include 
some vegetables or some healthy foods in his or her diet. And, you know, again, you can Google that. Um, so this podcast is about um, how not to neglect or abuse our children. Um, obviously, shelter, you want a nice place to live. Not It doesn't have to be beautiful or anything, but your child obviously needs a roof over their head to protect them from, you know, inclement weather and, and the cold and everything else, depending on, you know, what part of the world you live in. Um, but it can also be to protect them from heat or from insects um, or different things in the environment. And obviously, they need clothing. They can't run around naked. That would be awful, you know. Um, their skin needs protection, and obviously, that's inappropriate. So basic needs, food, shelter, and clothing. We need to not neglect those. We need to make sure our children are taken care of. And these are pretty obvious, you know, so far. Um, we're starting with the basic obvious stuff. But we also need to protect our children's mental and emotional well-being as well as their physical. Um, I would say one form of child abuse and neglect that happened, unfortunately, in one of my children's lives was my older son. Um, and this is something that unfortunately he still remembers and as, and as an adult and is still slightly traumatized by. And I think he always will be. I don't think that's ever going to go away for him short of a miracle of God, which is totally possible also. But um, in his natural state, it, it's going to be something that unfortunately he always remembers. And it's one of my biggest regrets and breaks my heart, but I did try to stop it. And I was just um, not able to stop it. I wasn't powerful enough to stop it at the time. Um, but my ex-husband, since he was the older child, you know, the younger child would often be able to wear his clothing and shoes as hand-me-downs. And, you know, my older son took pretty good care of his his clothes and things. And so, um, so my older son, when he would grow, especially like his feet would grow and he would grow in shoe size, my ex-husband would refuse to get him new shoes that, because he had outgrown his old shoes. And my ex-husband would literally force shoes that were too small onto my son's feet. And that is a form of child, that is child abuse, um, you know, and I remember I would just cry and beg and plead and my son would be crying and begging and pleading. And my ex-husband was just adamant. No, he's fine. He can wear these shoes. He'll be fine. And um, he wasn't fine. It was excruciatingly painful. And I'm just horrified even talking about this right now because, you know, I know my son was traumatized and I'm traumatized just thinking about it. Um. But that is one form of child neglect and abuse because, you know, he should have spent 20 bucks on a pair of shoes for a child. That's ridiculous. And it wasn't like we couldn't afford it. The man made like eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 a year. So anyway, um, that's just an example from my own personal life, um, unfortunately. Obviously, that also affected my son's mental and emotional health because obviously he was understandably very upset about it. I mean, who wouldn't be? Um, you know, and I don't want any parents to feel guilty 
for no reason. Some parents feel guilty in a way that's unfounded because I personally believe and feel like if you tried your best as a parent and you really did your parent, your best as a parent, a mother or father, then most likely you did not neglect your child. Most likely you did not abuse your child. Um, but there are some parents sometimes due to their own childhood neglect and or abuse who don't know how to show their children love and children need to know they're loved, not just in their minds with their thinking, but they need to feel that love. Um, yes, it is important to tell your child, I love you. Obviously, that's important. But I strongly believe in the old adage, actions speak louder than words. And I've heard many people over the years say, my father didn't know how to show love, or my mother didn't know how to show love, or my parents didn't know how to show love. Or I've heard people say, adults that are still struggling emotionally with this, that they knew their parents loved them, but their parents weren't the affectionate type, or my father never hugged me, or my mother never hugged me, or, you know, they just did not receive that affection. Physical affection is so important. <clears throat> and it's also important. Um, words are important, but so is physical touch. And if you read um, a book called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, um, it's talking it, it's talking about and referring to love uh, to love languages of adults primarily um, but there's also one for teenagers but children I believe have the same needs and there are five primary love languages um, Gary Chapman mentions and one of those is physical touch now we all have different and unique personalities and most of us have one primary love language that kind of predominates all of the others one or two, um, not everyone, but a lot of people. And if you don't know what your love language is or what your child's love language is, think about how do you often show love? Like how do you often quote unquote speak to other people? Do you buy them gifts? Do you give them hugs or want to hold their hand? Um, do you want to spend time with someone, even if it's just sitting on the couch watching a football game, for example? Um, do you tell people positive, encouraging, affirming words and, and messages about themselves? Do you lift people up by what you say to them and, and say positive things to them that almost sounds like maybe flattery, but it's not really. It's compliments. You give lots of compliments. Um do you do things for people? Whatever you do the most for people, if you think about it and examine yourself, self-examine, that's probably your primary love language. We have a tendency, Gary Chapman basically implies, to speak in the love language that means the most to us. And so whatever you do the most is probably what you appreciate the most, having reciprocated. So if you have a child whose primary love language is, for example, physical touch, but the parent's love language is uh, words of affirmation, the parent might be telling the child, I love you, and the child's like, cool, I know you do, but the child is 
left with this little emotional void because that child needs to be hugged. That child needs to be kissed. That child needs to be touched in a pr- inappropriate way, obviously. Um, you know, but, and so uh, I personally feel that it behooves us to try to discover, try to observe, you know, what does my child express his or her love language in the most. And I'm talking to myself here too. And, you know, as you know, my children are grown, Um, you know, and there are some people who, for example, don't like to be touched. They they'll say, don't touch me, or I'm not a touchy person. I'm not a touchy feely person. I don't like to be touched. Some people, especially people who have been physically or sexually abused, they don't like that. That to them is invading and violating their personal space. So you got to be really careful with that, you know? Um, and obviously, you know, some people like one of my primary love languages was always gift giving. I love giving gifts. Like I love giving gifts, but I have always struggled financially almost all my life. It's only recently that I've, you know, the Lord's blessed me so much, not like a humongous amount, but enough that, you know, I'm finally comfortably financially independent for the most part, still paying off lots of medical debt and student loans. But, you know, I'm finally at a comfort level place in my finances where, you know, I can actually start gifting things to people, which I absolutely love. I don't, but you know, some people can't afford, maybe their, their primary love language is gift giving, but they can't afford to give gifts. And so like I did, they end up um, focusing more on their second or third love languages because that's what they're able to do. So um, obviously our children need to feel loved and that's meeting their emotional needs and their mental needs as well. I personally believe children need to be intellectually stimulated and each child is at a different level. You know, um, like each child, uh, I believe God created each of us uniquely. Um, there's nobody else like you in the world. There's nobody else like your child in the world, nor has there ever been, nor will there ever be. I believe God is that talented and unique of an artist and He creates us, his children, his masterpieces, all unique and individual. And so each child you have is is unique and has talents and intelligence and gifts in different ways. You know, um, I'm a teacher and years ago there was this thing called multiple intelligences that was the rave, you know, and it's still acknowledged, but it's not quite as prominent in the education field anymore. But basically what it says is different people have different types of intelligences. Um, Like you could have one person or child who's extremely talented in music, but struggles with math. And another child could be really good at math, but can't hold a note or a tune for the life of them, you know? And so those are multiple intelligences. One's a One's a mathematical intelligence. One's a musical musical intelligence. And those are just two examples. I mean, it could be anything, right? And so we definitely want to try to find, you know, where God has talented and gifted our children and, and, and speak to that and um, invest in that and help try to help that grow in that child um, because each child is unique. 
Um, personally, I have one child who's a very successful architect. Um, he's always been multi-talented in multiple areas. Um, he's always been athletic. He's always been musically talented. Um, super, super intelligent. Both of them are actually super intelligent. Um, very talented drum player. And I'm not just saying that as a mother. People think, you know, that I'm biased because I'm his mother and I am to some extent, but I'm a very direct, um, honest, blunt, frank, prophetic type person. And so, you know, I would not say that. I don't say that just because he's my son. He's, he's actually extremely intelligent. And, um, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, he's just always been gifted in that way. All of those ways. He He's very, um, what would you call it? Well-rounded. He's very well-rounded. Um, but he's a very talented architect and I'm very proud of him. And, and my other son is also an extremely talented scientist. And, you know, he studies physics, astrophysics to be precise, and biomedical physics. And, you know, um, he plays guitar and keyboard and is very talented at those things. He actually taught himself guitar, which is extremely challenging. And, um, you know, um, he uh, was the recipient of the Rising Star Physics Award uh, last semester at his college. And, you know, those are just, you know, where each of my own personal kids or children excels in and where God has gifted and talented them. Um, and so I'm very proud of him also. I'm proud of both of my children. And, um, you know, he also was athletic in soccer and was, um, for many years, uh, goalkeeper and very talented goalkeeper, had quite the reputation. And uh, my younger son, the architect, he also was very talented at soccer and, and a uh, very well known, uh, for being a midfielder, especially because he was very good at stealing the ball, very talented, you know, so they're each gifted in, in their own ways. And I remember, you know, I homeschooled my children for 10 years before I finally had to put them in public schools because of my impending divorce, my looming divorce at the time. And, um, you know, they both ended up in things like Project Lead the Way and which if you don't know what that is, it's a it's like a um kind of like a leadership program for students in high school. And um one of them was involved in engineering courses and one of them was um one was in band and one was in theater, thespian and you know, just very, very talented individuals, both of them. So, you know, find where your kids, where God has gifted and talented your kids and, and, um, help them develop those gifts, giftings and talents. Um, so, you know, um, we don't want to obviously neglect our children and neglect is a form of abuse. And sometimes, unfortunately, some tragedy can happen in a family, like maybe the mother dies or the father dies or something like that. And the remaining spouse sometimes really struggles to cope with their own emotions. And sometimes 
you know, I'm not judging or condemning anyone, but sometimes it's really hard for the, the children because the child might be left to cope on his or her own because the adult is just consumed with their own grief at the time. And if that's the case, you know, I would hope that you would get into counseling and, and get some help so that you can help your child because you don't want to leave a child to deal with their own emotions. It's hard enough to deal with as an adult, right? Um, I'm not judging anyone. I'm just saying, you know, that sometimes, unfortunately, those things can happen and life happens. And, you know, God is good and he uses all evil for good to those who are called according to his purpose. But this world is still full of sin and depravity. And, you know, the Bible tells us Satan is the prince of this world. But Jesus said, take heart for I have overcome the world. So, you know, we want to make sure that we are not neglecting any of our children's needs. And it's not just physical needs of food, shelter, and clothing, um, but also the mental, emotional, and even spiritual needs. Um, you know, children are going to choose their own um, spiritual path eventually, but we can guide them. You know, we can plant seeds. Um, Corinthians talks about you know, that I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. You know, we can plant seeds in our children. And Proverbs 22, 6 says, if you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, it says train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So, you know, even when our child strays, we have that hope and that promise that from God that he will come back. And or she will come back. And God keeps his promises. God is faithful. God does not make a promise that he does not keep. So we want to take care of our children's spiritual needs too. Um, there's a big pop word in our culture or has been self-esteem. And I personally, this is my personal opinion. It's not biblically based or anything. But I personally believe we've swung too far to the other side on that. I think that we have inadvertently created a bunch of children as the world, not just parents, um, but as, you know, all the influence of the world, television, especially social media, um, news broadcasts, you know, other people, um, especially from other cultures. And I'm not saying other cultures are bad. They're just different. They have different values and beliefs, systems, and um you know, I think uh, personally, my opinion is we've swung too far the other way and created a couple of generations now where the focus is on me, 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 me. And it's really super selfish. And I know I'm older, I'm 53 years old, but I don't like that. Um, I wish I would have taught my own children more on how to be there for others and how to serve and how to minister I think I did a sort of a good job of that, but then I think one of my children misunderstood me and I didn't make it clear enough that first and foremost, our priority should be a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus should be my best friend. And hopefully we have taught our children that Jesus should be their best friend as well. Jesus should be your son's best friend or Jesus should be your daughter's best friend as well. Um, and of course, that comes with my beliefs. 
but I don't pick and choose what I like out of the Bible. I accept the whole Bible, whether I like what it says or not, you know. Um, but the foundation should be that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And how do you have that? And how do you get that? By talking to him daily. Um, I like the acronym PRAY, P-R-A-Y, where each letter stands for a word. Pray for me is petition. Ask God for what you need. R is repent. And, and it doesn't necessarily obviously have to be or need to be in this order. Probably shouldn't even be. But repent. You know, ask God to forgive us for our sins. We all sin daily because we're all human. You know, an old friend of mine used to say when he would pray, forgive us, Father, for our sins, known and unknown. And at first I was like, what do you mean? How do I not know my sins? Like, I know what I sin. But I realized later there are some sins that we do that we may not realize at the time that we're doing. So P for petition, R for repent, A for ask. No, that's not right. P is praise. I'm sorry. <laughs> P is praise. Praise God for who he is. That's so important. It should be first and foremost. A is for ask in, instead of petition. Ask God for what you need. Um, the Bible says you ask God. You have not because you ask not. So ask God for what you need. So praise God. Repent of our sins. Ask for what we need. And then Y is yield, meaning surrender. Um, we need to listen to God. You know, so many times we just like, okay, I prayed because, you know, I praised God. You know, I asked God for forgiveness and I told him what I need. And now I'm done. You know, wipe my, wipe my hands. I'm done praying. But no, we need to listen to God too. And not only should we listen to God by reading his word, you know, and I believe um, the Holy Spirit helps us understand God's word even more when we pray first, but we should, um, and then, and then read his word. And then he, the Holy Spirit kind of sheds light on what we're reading. Um, and, and just scriptures and words will pop out at us and just come alive for us because the Bible says that God's word is living, breathing, and active. It means it's applicable today and it's relevant today. It's never going to be irrelevant. The Bible is a timeless piece because it's from a timeless God. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and always. Yesterday, today, and always. Um, but we should also listen to God, not just in the Bible, but also in prayer. We need silent times where we just stop. Some people like to call it meditating, but where we just stop and, and just let God speak to us, just kind of clear our minds and, you know, ask him to speak to us and then wait and listen. And um, let's practice this now real quickly. We're going to wait and listen. What God, what do you have to say to us about child abuse? So we're going to give it just a few seconds. So you can do this for a lot longer in your own personal time. I just wanted to give you a quick, um, what's called in teaching wait time example of, you know, just pausing for a few moments to think about or to let God uh, put thoughts in your mind where he's speaking to you. And I ask him a question, what else do you want me to say about child abuse and neglect? And he gave, this is what he gave me in those few seconds briefly. He said, just tell them and remind them again that just to do their best with their children 
And if they're trying their best, then they're most likely not neglecting or abusing their children. So, um, you know, it's really important. Finally, I want to end with, you know, there's this big, huge estrangement movement in children nowadays where children are estranging themselves from their parents. And I personally believe that these modern day therapists have a lot to do with it. That's my opinion again. Um, But, you know, these therapists, they're just hearing one side of the story. They're just hearing the children's side and they don't know the parents' side. Or they're just hearing the parents' side and they don't know the children's side. Um, But even some parents who never did anything wrong and were absolutely tremendously wonderful and great parents, even they are being estranged, are getting estranged by their adult children. And it's so sad because, you know, um, as a parent, you never think of that when, you know, you're so excited to have a baby, you have all these dreams and aspirations and hopes and expectations for your child. And you're so excited to love on them and everything else. Estrangement, like you don't even know that that's a thing, that that even exists. And, um, you know, for my generation, especially, no matter how our parents were to us, no matter how our parents treated us, we would never dream of abandoning them or estranging ourselves from them. And so it's a pretty excruciatingly painful and hurtful thing emotionally. And um, it's actually one of the most difficult things I personally have ever gone through. And yes, I do have an estranged child, sadly and unfortunately, and I miss him dearly. I am not one of those perfect parents. I actually did my best. Um, But sometimes those estranged parents are accused of child abuse and neglect. And sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not. And, you know, um, I've been estranged from one of my adult children for over two years now. Um, I think it's going on three years now, if I'm not mistaken. And like I said, it's one of the hardest things I've ever gone through. And I have gone through a lot, let me tell you. Um, it's the worst emotional pain ever imaginable. And it's just completely unexpected. And I knew that Um, our relationship had become toxic and I didn't know how to fix it. And um, two years before my son estranged himself from me, I had friends and family members telling me that I needed to stop talking to him because he was being disrespectful to me. And um, I'll be honest, it was both ways. We were both disrespectful to each other. And I apologized and asked forgiveness, but we just, I mean, we just couldn't, we almost couldn't have a conversation without it going into an argument, you know, without it going wrong. And there were screaming and yelling and cussing matches. It was awful. And, you know, I'm very transparent about that. Um, And like I said, before he totally cut himself off from me, I did apologize and ask him to forgive me. Um, You know, I made a lot of mistakes and I beat myself up for almost two years. It was just a, just not too long ago, like a couple of months ago maybe, that I finally forgave myself. I was able to forgive myself and say, you know what? Yes, did I make mistakes? Absolutely. But I asked him forgiveness. I God's forgiven me. I need to forgive myself. <clears throat> you know, obviously I pray for him all the time, um, at least daily. He's always in the back of my mind because he's my son. I love him. Like, I don't love anyone more than my children, except Jesus, of course. And, um, 
you know, I did the best I could. And I just pray that God will help him heal from all the pain. Because when a child estranges themselves from an adult, one thing I've learned is that they feel very, like there's a deep emotional hurt there. There's something that's unhealed and they need healing. Um, I know parental alienation is part of it, both my own and his father's. Um, because for many years, I was bitter against my children's father because of his abuse of me. And <clears throat> although I tried very hard not to badmouth their father to my children, it it was impossible because I was so angry and bitter, especially when he would do something, um, again, to abuse me. And I just, when they were even, when they were adults and, you know, I guess I just assumed they're adults, they can handle it, but I should have never spoken against their father. And I know for a fact that he's, their father has spoken against me to them as well. And, um, you know, unfortunately my abusive ex-husband is best friends with my estranged son. So I know the parental alienation of his father toward me is part of that. And I remember my son used to say, I feel so sorry for dad. He's so lonely when I kicked his father out. I don't think my my younger son, who's estranged from me, I don't think he understands or believes what actually happened. Um, his father has been in denial for years. And I think that I suspect that my son believes him. But it wasn't just all that. And I suspect, even though he said it wasn't, I suspect that part of it was the fact that I divorced his father. Um, but it took me years and multiple unsuccessful attempts um, to get his father to stop abusing me before God finally released me and said, Malachi 2.16, yes, I hate divorce, but I also hate it when a man's being violent to his wife. You know, you're released because you didn't break the covenant of marriage. Your husband did by abusing you, you know, and so my son kind of just automatically took his dad's side and in hindsight, I had shared more of my story with my older son because, you know, one, he was older. Um, and I don't know, I guess I just assumed that my younger son was listening to all those stories. But now I don't think he was. I don't think he was. Or he didn't believe me. He couldn't possibly be listening or believing one of the two or he wouldn't be best friends with his father. You know, um. And I did not put their father in jail because I did not want my sons. There were multiple reasons, but one of the main one was that I didn't want my sons to be one of those statistics of young men who grow up in this country without a father or with a father in prison. And he definitely would have gone to prison if I had pressed charges. Um, but I was too weak back then to press charges. And I, I can't change that now. But I, you know, in spite of how their father abused me, I still told the boys that my children, our children, you know, you need to respect him. He's still your father. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess when I was bad mouthing their father, that was kind of a form of me abusing my children. And I didn't realize it at the time. You know, I think we're all guilty to some extent. Um, and unfortunately my younger son, is suffering the consequences of that. And um, I wish I could take it back, but I can't change the past. All I could do is work toward the future and pray for him and stop beating myself up because it's not benefiting anyone for me to continue beating myself up. 
So like I said, thankfully, a couple of months ago, God enabled me to forgive myself. And, um, you know, uh, I forgive my son too, for how he treated me. Um, you know, that was kept quiet and covered up by me, just like I covered up my ex-husband's abuse of me. So, um, you know, it's hard. It's a hard situation. Um, but like I said, our children need our love. Um, they need our physical touch. They need our spiritual guidance. You know, they can make their own choice when they're old enough. But, you know, I believe, um, you know, we need to plant that seed of God's word in them and teach them how to be a friend with Jesus. You know, how to make Jesus your friend just by communicating with him and listening to him. You know, the pray model. Um, I just have always had that in the back of my head and, um, to love on them the best we can. And I personally believe and think that one of the best things we can do for our children. And I'm so thankful that my older son still talks to me. Thank God. I don't know where I'd be if he didn't. I mean, I'll be honest. There was a time where I was having suicidal thoughts because of my son's estrangement. And it was really hard for me to open up about that because, you know, I'm a teacher. I have suicide prevention training. It's it's geared for teenagers, but it's applicable to any age and relevant. And, you know, I know what it's all about. And it was really hard to have those feelings knowing what to do about I knew what to do about it. And I, you know, I got vulnerable and opened up to a sibling and that wasn't handled well at all. But um you know, that's another topic, suicide and suicidal ideation and suicidal thoughts um, that can happen because of abuse of multiple kinds, you know, and, and unfortunately there are children and teenagers who apparently are watching videos to do a suicide and stuff. This is awful, horrible. It's bad enough how it is. Um, but, you know, it's important to talk about suicide and things like that. And obviously that's a different topic for a different podcast episode, but um, because this abuse, this topic is, uh, this podcast episode topic is about child abuse and neglect and which neglect is a form of abuse, obviously. Um, but just, we need to just do our best as parents. That's all we can do. And I just need to keep reminding myself, you know, after Jesus, my children are my everything. They always have been and they always will be. Like, you know, there's something among kids today, this common saying, well, you're a parent, that's your job. Instead of being grateful and having an attitude of appreciation and gratitude for all parents do for their children, nowadays, a lot of children just expect it. Well, that's your job. If you didn't want to have, if you didn't want a parent, then you shouldn't have kids, shouldn't have had kids. <laughs> it's just like, they think it's your obligation which it kind of is, but the point is a lot of a lot of them have lost appreciation and gratitude for what the parents sacrificed for them. And, you know, they don't understand because they haven't been there yet. You know what I mean? So, um, and and we were like that too at their age. A lot of us were. I know I was. I didn't understand parenting. I sure understand it a lot more now. You know, I didn't understand my mom being a single parent. I understand it now. Um but, you know, we just need to do the best we can as parents and realize that Jesus is first, our kids come second. But, you know, well, when you're single, obviously, if you're married, your spouse will come second um, unless they're abusive. Then God 
you know, obviously supersedes whatever your spouse says. I want to make that disclaimer so that you don't feel obligated to submit to an abusive spouse. But we want to make sure that, you know, we've done our best as parents and then stop beating ourselves up about it. We did our best, you know, and hopefully if they have an issue, they'll eventually come talk to us about it. Hopefully they'll heal enough or God will heal them enough that they can forgive us for our mistakes and our shortcomings because we're human just like everybody else. And I think sometimes what they don't realize is they're human too, you know, and we all need to own up to our mistakes and not make excuses for them. So it's one of the things I've learned. Um, But again, I just want to reassure and comfort you. Like God told me when we had our quiet time a few minutes ago, that if you are worried that you might be being an abusive or neglective parent, you're probably not because you're worried about it. You know, if you're doing your best, then you're probably doing fine. And I just want to say, you know, you can be the best parent ever and you can have one kid that grows up great and another kid that really struggles or whatever it is. And another kid, you know, you can have 10 kids and every kid turns out differently, but they all have the same parents because they all have different personalities, giftings, talents, and they all have, um, they're all influenced in different ways by society and life, social media, television, college, whatever it happens to be. And unfortunately, a lot of college teaching nowadays is beyond liberal. (laughs) So, um, you know, I kind of don't fit in anywhere anymore because I'm not this narrow-minded, you know, simplistic Christ follower that I used to be, although I'm still a Christ follower, don't get me wrong. I God has exposed me for several years now to the public, to, to the public, to pu- people in the public, um, to the public field. And it's completely different than the sheltered Christian life I was living although I wasn't very sheltered being abused by my husband, but everything else was around me. All my friends, everyone I dealt with, church, everyone was all Christian, Christ followers. Um, and now, for years now, God has placed me in the in public. And it's just a completely different environment. And I don't totally fit in there either because I'm still pretty conservative in my values and beliefs, obviously. You know, and I believe Jesus Christ is Lord and my Lord and Savior, and He's my best friend. And you know, um, so and our children have to grow up in this world, and so part of our not abusing them and not neglecting them is the, to make sure that we prepare them to live in this world that we live in nowadays, which unfortunately I believe is just going to continue going downhill. And it's also biblically prophesied. Now, we have hope at the end, but we got to go through the trials and tribulations first, right? According to the Bible. If I'm reading that correctly, which I I think I am, I believe I am. So um, that's just a little bit off the top of my head about the topic of child abuse and neglect. And, um, you know, if, if you don't have the financial resources to provide some of those basic needs for your children, the food, shelter, and clothing, by all means, seek help. Um, there are churches you can go to. There are um, homeless shelters you can go to. The YW or the YMCA, um, the YWCA, YWCA. Actually, I think both of them have programs nowadays. They they can they can help you out or direct you to resources and places where you know you can be helped. 
Um, you can go to the Goodwill and get clothing for your children. You know, I know that they may be made fun of at school, but sometimes you can get brand new clothing there or clothes that looks like, that look like they've never been worn. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, I know at one point as a single mom, I had three part-time jobs, you know, you just do what you need to do to make it, um, and to help your children. And most of us just naturally do that as parents, because it's like, I believe God put it instinctively in us to do that for our children and to protect them. Um, so what do you do if you realize you've been neglecting your child or abusing your child? Stop, pray and ask God to help you stop. And if you think you can't stop, then find help, seek help, get counseling from a good Christian counselor. Um, but I just want to warn you, you know, and remember if you or someone else, especially a child is in danger, they're going to protect you or the child or whoever's in danger, or they're going to try to protect them. Um, so, you know, I guess the most obvious solution is to make sure that you're helping your children however you can, you know, not enabling them, <laughs> obviously teaching them and, and um, biblical discipline as far as, you know, loving them and guiding them and directing them. Or what do you do if you're not abusing or neglecting your child, but your spouse is, your husband is, or your wife is? Um, you know, what do, what do you do then? Do you let them continue to abuse your child? Do you have power and authority of Jesus Christ over your home and over your family? Yes, you do. Um, you can pray about it. You can confront them in love. I wouldn't recommend confronting them alone if they're abusive at all. Um, you know, uh, the Bible tells us to take someone who sins against us to talk to them in Matthew. It says, talk to them between the two of you first. Again, I don't recommend doing that alone if your um, spouse is abusive. And then if they don't listen, take it with one or two others. And if they still don't listen, take it to the church. And then if they still don't listen, basically just to write them off. Um, but the church doesn't always understand abuse so far. I think that a lot of churches are starting to make an effort to, um, but the church is all about reconciliation. And to be quite frank and blunt and a little crass, they don't really care. They they may claim or try to, but they don't really care if somebody's abused in the process unless it's a child, um, as long as there's reconciliation between a husband and a spouse. I'm not saying all churches, but unfortunately, that's the way a lot of churches were are, if, especially certain denominations, and that's not okay because you should not be sacrificing your own personal safety to make sure that there's reconciliation in your family. You know, um, if your husband is a, abusing your child, they definitely need to be made to stop. And you may not have the power to do it if you're living in an abusive home. Um, so you may need to find someone who does. And in some cases, some extreme cases, and maybe not, maybe some not so extreme cases, that may mean calling the police. That may be, mean pressing charges. Um, and, uh, you know, there's this thing kind of in the Christian community that I've been in that you don't sue your Christian brother or sister, but 
you do call the police if someone's in danger. So don't listen to that. That's ridiculous. I listened to that years ago and I should not have. I shouldn't have. Um, I should have gone and asked for help much sooner than I did. I was actually trying to protect others. But, you know, let me tell you a, a grave fact. If for some reason the police or someone were to come to your home, someone in authority, like a police officer or a lawyer, someone like that, and they observe or witness or know um, with factual evidence, but they know or witness or see that your husband is abusing you and there are children in the home, you could very easily have your children taken away from you. Is that what you want? I know that's not what you want. I'm not trying to scare you because that really was one of the scariest thoughts for me because then they wouldn't have had their father or me. Um, obviously, I was like, in my mind, I was the better parent for them um, because their father was, you know, I told you about the shoe story and there were other instances not of abusing the children, but of abusing me because the state, the the non-Christians understand that statistically speaking, especially, it is extremely harmful emotionally and lifelong lasting for life. It's a lifetime learning experience when children abuse a parent being abused by another parent. Um, it's It's emotionally scarring for life. And statistically speaking, not always, but a large percentage of those children who witness one of their parents being abused by another either become perpetrators and abusers themselves or they become victims of abuse or both. Um, but usually it's one or the other, not all of them, but a large percentage. And so you're risking your child's future health also, not just the, the current health. And so, you know, the state understands that and they will take a child away from you who's not being protected from witnessing violence in their home. So I just want to kind of warn you on that. Um, so that is uh, what I believe the Lord may have wanted me to share today about child abuse. And I hope it's been a blessing. Um, I hope it's given you some courage in some cases and some relief in others. Thank you for listening. God bless you. I love you. But remember, Jesus loves you more. Until next time.